What are we doing here? What are we doing here? Why do we get up? We put ourselves, the grief we put ourselves, ask my wife what it took for me to get here this morning with these kids. Why do we do it? Ephesians 4, 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. How many of you have ever played the game Simon Says? Everybody? Let's do that now. Let's see if you remember the rules. Simon Says, touch your head. Simon Says, pull your ear. Touch your nose. A couple of y'all just got out. (laughs) Now we learn the rules of that game. It's pretty simple as kids. And we understand when Simon says something, you do it. For some reason, we get to church, and when Jesus says something, it's not necessary that we do it. It's necessary that we memorize it. It's necessary that we study it, but it's not necessary that we do it, is it? I want you to understand the absurdity of that. If I tell my daughter to go clean her room, and I thought they were going to be in powerhouse, but they're not. If I tell my daughter to go clean her room, And she goes upstairs and comes back a little later and she says, Dad, you'd be proud of me. What, honey? Well, I memorized what you said. You said, go clean your room. In fact, Dad, I was so impressed by what you told me. Me and sister are going to get together later. We're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. You're laughing, but we do it. Don't we? I'd rather study it. I'd rather make a program about it. I'd rather do anything except do it. Our text today is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. There's a hole in this lid somewhere. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you until the end of the age. This is known as the Great Commission. You set the stage when when Jesus told us this. These are in red, words of Jesus. Jesus says, go make disciples. This is at the end of His earthly ministry. He's been crucified, resurrected Himself. He's gathered His disciples back to Himself and He's told them to come meet Him at 
the mountain where he had instructed them to previously. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. All that means is it was a hill or a high place that Jesus ascended from when he went back to heaven. But this is among his final instructions. And I think we all understand the impact or the drama that's attached to final words. We see it in Hollywood when the friend's dying and he says, take care of her. You know, whatever the thing is, the, a person's final words or final instructions to us before they leave carry a, a certain weight that, that other words don't. And I don't think it was by accident that Christ told us this right before he left. And he starts this statement off with all authority. So listen up. I don't know if you've ever done a word study, but in the original Greek, the word all means all. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. He put his exclamation point at the beginning of this statement to make sure you were paying attention. The buck stops with me. I'm the, I'm the end-all, be-all. So this is my thing that I'm telling you to do. Go make disciples. He didn't say go make converts. He didn't go say save the souls of all the law. He said go make disciples. I think the words he chose to use, I'm not saying saving souls is wrong, but the words he chose to use are important here if we're going to get what our number one priority is. Because sometimes the enemy of the great is the good. He said, go make disciples. He didn't say, go make converts. He didn't say, go build pretty church buildings. He didn't say, go start programs. He didn't say, have a self-help, self-esteem building seminar. He said, go make disciples. This should be our number one priority. It should be the church's number one priority. It's what I just read to you that we should do. So what is this? I don't even understand. A lot of us have been in church a long time, and we don't really get what making disciples is, what it's supposed to look like, what's it about. So what I want to do is I'm going to look at Christ's command to make disciples. Let's look at that command itself to better understand what he's saying. Now, at this point, I know I made a joke earlier about looking at the original text, but sometimes it is important. You know, preachers don't pull out the original Greek or Hebrew, and reference it to tell you how smart they are and how they can look up something on Google that you can't. But it's important to get the flavor sometimes of what was intended, because when you're communicating to an audience, you choose to use the words that best communicate that idea. I can say, I went to watch the dogs play. I can say, I took my dog to the park, and then I hung out with my dog. Now, 200 years from now, that in a different language translated to another language might lose the impact, might lose the flavor of what I was trying to say. So that's all we're doing. We're not trying to change the intent of what was meant to be delivered. We're just trying to get to the intent. Okay, so after giving you that quick lesson, The very beginning of this text, go therefore. Go therefore literally means as you go. 
as you continue on the journey that you've already begun. Or it means order your life in such a way. Now you can go look that up, but I promise you it's one of those three. Or all of those three in this case. So hear what he's saying. As you continue on the journey you've already begun, order your life in such a way as to be intentional about making disciples. to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you think of baptizing, what comes to mind? The same thing that comes to my mind my entire life of baptizing. It's one of two ordinances that Jesus gave us. The way we baptize is right, it's true, it's what we should do. It's a, it's a picture, it's an outward expression of an inward change where we are, uh, have died, been buried, and resurrected to a new life in Christ. But I feel like when we choose, see the word that Jesus chose to use here, I think He was trying to tell us so much more. The words that Christ, that, that we have, that have been translated into baptize from the Greek at the time this was written. We have the word bapto. Then we have the word baptizo. Jesus used the word baptizo here. Both can mean baptize. And to give you the best illustration of the difference between these two words, there was a, a Greek doctor who lived relatively close to the same time. And he happened to be a, a, a well-known poet too. So he was a well-educated master communicator. So we look back to his some of his writings to get the intent of how the words were meant to be used. And will be found as a pickle recipe where he uses both words in the same phrase. He says, first, bapto the vegetable in the boiling water, or blanch it, if you're familiar with cooking. Then, baptizo the vegetable into a vinegar solution. One is the temporary, and one instigates a permanent change Christ used baptizo. So what he is literally telling us is to go, or as you go, as you continue on the journey you've already begun, order your life in such a way as to be deliberate about saturating people to the point of instigating a permanent change. In other words, he said, go make pickles. See, it made sense eventually. Go make pickles in my name, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In my name simply means that we have His full backing and His full support in what He's telling us to do. And not to confuse you in that commissioning that He gave us, all that means is that someone with the authority has now delegated the responsibility. And if we have His full authority, it's kind of like when you were a kid. If you got a hall pass from the principal, as long as you had that piece of paper with His name on it, nobody could stop you from going where you wanted to go. teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
teaching them. To teach, we have to use our words. I don't think there was any room given for me to hide behind, I'm just not comfortable talking to people. You know, I, I live out the gospel of my life and I let people see it, but I don't want to speak about it. Teaching pretty much implies we have to use our words. And if we're following Christ's example, Christ used His words, I should use my words. But it's, you know, obviously living it out is critical. People aren't going to care what I have to say if they can't see it in action. And Christ was a master at this. When Jesus' friends asked him, will you teach us how to pray? What did he do? He said, I just read a great book on it. I want to email you a copy of it. Matter of fact, there's a discipleship class coming up next year. Let's get you signed up for it. I think on the second Tuesday in January, there's a two-hour seminar on prayer. You'll get a lot out of it. Mm -mm. That's what I do sometimes. But when Jesus' friends asked him how to pray, what did he do? He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven. He showed him how to do it. It's really that simple. He gave us a perfect model. And then he told us how to do it. So as you continue on this journey, I want you to order your life in such a way as to be intentional to saturate people with me, creating a permanent change in them through my authority, in my name, by teaching with words and by, my, and by example. And I'll be with you. Discipleship is always, well, at least biblically, it's always in context of relationship. Jesus spent 90%, 90% of his time in earthly ministry with 12 men. And we see countless examples of where he spent a lot of that with a few at a time out of that 12. Now that seems counterintuitive to what I would have done. I want to find a way to reach the multitudes and the masses with as little effort as possible because obviously that's a better plan, correct? It's not what Jesus thought. There were times when he addressed the masses, yes, but for the most part, 90% of his time was spent doing life and discipling with a small group of people, pouring into them, and then commanding them to in turn give it to others. He lived his life with a purpose in such a way as to be intentional to saturate people with himself, creating a permanent change in them. So why don't we do it? What is the problem? What are the excuses we make for not doing what Jesus clearly says to do? Well, it's messy. messy. It involves people. And sometimes I just don't like people. Sometime, even those of us that have been committed to the process, we get hurt. Sometimes we spend years 
with someone, being intentional to disciple them. And then they fall off the map or they go off the rails and they make decisions that we just shake our head at. And we feel like maybe we've wasted our time or we get hurt in the process. And that's hard. Jesus had one of his betray him. Should I expect everybody I disciple to get it right? If Jesus' didn't, but I'm still told to do it. Or if I'm being honest, it just takes too much time. I mean, I got a lot of stuff to do. I got kids, I got a job, I have commitments. I even have church stuff that's probably more important than discipling. That should sting a little bit to somebody because it hurt me when I realized it. But really, how's that going to stand up? I'm sitting in front of Jesus. If I tell my kids to do something and they come back with all these excuses, it really doesn't matter. i got to stand in front of Jesus and he says, how'd you do with this? Well, you know, I was too busy to obey a direct command from the one that I call Lord of the universe. Or we just say, I don't know how. I don't know how to do it. Now that's an honest response. I've been told to make disciples. I just don't know how. Well, I'll tell you first, before you can make disciples, you should probably be a disciple. Be intentional about hooking up with somebody that you see has something you want in this life, in this Christian faith. You see them go through a tough time and they're turning out and and reaching out and pouring their lives into someone else. Or they're committed to something that's greater than themselves. Hook up with that person. Do what they do. And you'll see those benefits in your life. Because when we accept responsibility for others' spiritual growth, when we accept the responsibility for someone else's spiritual growth, we begin to grow ourselves exponentially. You ever heard the saying, the best way to learn something is to teach it? Well, if I found myself in that situation Jesus did when his friend said, teach me how to pray. Well, first, I got I to gotta know how to pray. Or if I'm talking with someone, be it my child or whoever, and something comes up and I, and I want to pour one of these Christian platitudes at them and say, don't worry, God's got this. What if, they, what if they actually said in response to that? Well, where does it say that in Scripture? Oh, well, hold on a minute. Let me start digging. Make a phone call. i got to know the pressure's on at that point, right? But I'm not going to do it unless somebody else is counting on me to do it. Otherwise, I'll always be too busy. I'll find something else. It's almost like Jesus had this thing figured out when he told us to go make disciples, huh? He knew that the benefit would be more for us than it is for those that we're supposedly discipling. Celebrate Recovery is a perfect example of this. It's successful in what it does because it's discipleship at its core.
It is the church's number one purpose to be deliberate in discipling people, in making disciples. It's been said that making disciples is living for the glory of God in others. We have no greater calling. The pastors here at this church are great examples to follow of this. Watch them with people. Pay attention to what they do. Try to copy them. Our grace group facilitators are wonderful at this. They spend time and energy and effort in pouring into other people. So many volunteers and lay ministers at Grace Fellowship do an excellent job at this. Look at these people. Do what they're doing, and it'll work for you the same way it's working for them. The whole goal is to be replicating what Christ has done in our heart and in our lives, to replicate that in the hearts and in the lives of others. And we do that one-on-one, phone call by phone call, hospital visit by hospital visit, lunch date by lunch date, we do it in the middle of our busy day when we stop and think about someone and send them a text. We do it when we're in a hurry to get out the door to go somewhere and someone stops us. It's hard. But it should be our number one priority. It's our number one job to replicate ourselves into other people, not necessarily through this reaching of the masses through multimedia uh, presentations. Jesus taught us exactly how to do it. Let me give you this example. What is, what is the fruit? And, and the whole idea of doing it is so that that person can turn around and do it, and that person can turn around and do it. I mean, that's what... What? 20 centuries ago, Jesus spent... Three years with 12 men, and today, look at the impact. Changed eternity. It was God's plan. He didn't give you an option B. He didn't say, oh, don't worry, if you don't make disciples, then you know I'll come in and blast a satellite message across the world, and, 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 and I'll convert everybody. He didn't say that. He said, this is the way it's going to happen. So you need to do this. Period. One at a time self-replicating down the line. The perfect example of that is what is the fruit of an apple? Anybody? You have an apple, what's the fruit of an apple? You might have heard me say this before. An apple. Everybody says an apple, right? An apple makes an apple. An apple doesn't make an apple. You plant an apple, you get an apple tree, and that tree makes a bunch of apples. That's what we're intended to do. If you've ever wondered what God's will for your life is, if you've ever wondered what His purpose for you was, I promise you, this is your purpose. It's written in red. You don't have to read ten books on your spiritual giftedness to figure it out. Jesus Himself said, do this. I don't have to sign up for a specialty course. He said, make disciples. Okay. So now I'm going to go have a Bible study about what it would look like if I made disciples. 
I'm going to walk out of here. I'm going to make a disciple. I'm going to be a disciple. Now perhaps you've been on the sidelines. Perhaps you've just been attending church. You're saved, but you know there's supposed to be more to this Christianity. I promise you there is. And this is where it's found. It's found in doing life with others. It's found in becoming more like Christ. It's found in turning around and giving that to other people. Maybe you um, have been a professional minister. It's what you do. But you've been weighted down by all the, the good things that the church is doing. But you're missing the greatest. And this is just a nudge back on track for you. I'm going to ask Pastor Michael to come up here. And as the band starts to play in, in a little bit, this altar is going to be open. And it's going to be a chance for you to do, uh, uh, do some business with God if you feel like you need to. Maybe um, you don't have any idea what this discipleship thing is supposed to be about. All you know is you sat here and you've heard this little guy with a red beard on stage say some things that you go, you know what, I don't have any clue, but that sounds like a God of love. That sounds like something he would do. Is try to reach people one-on-one. -on -one. And something in your heart is burned, and you know that this is true, and you want to be a part of it. Well, I'll be down here, and I'll ask Brother William to, to join me. And if God's pulling on your heart, don't leave today until you've made some answer. Maybe you're looking for a new church home. Grace Fellowship is a church that encourages you in all aspects, from our senior pastor down to our hospitality team. In all aspects to serve and get involved with other people and connect in growing relationships. So if you find yourself in any of those, we're going to give you a chance in just a minute to respond. Father God, I thank You for the chance to share Your Word. I thank You, Lord, that You are a good, good Father who invites us to participate in the work that You are doing. I know in my own life, Lord, I see the joy in my children's eyes when I ask them to help me with a project, Lord. And, and that's what You want for us. It is Your plan A and Your number one plan, and You didn't give us an option. Help us, Lord, to remember to just obey. To just do what Jesus says. All these things we pray in your precious and holy name. Amen.